I'm Matthew. I'm Marty. I'm Carlos. And we are the Heroes 3. Welcome to Heroes 3, the bi-weekly podcast where three friends explore the best, worst, and everything in between in the world of Asian cinema. And this week we are finishing up our look at Hong Kong in Hollywood with Drumroll. 1999's The Matrix, um, which it's The Matrix. You guys know about The Matrix. Yeah. Um, directed by the Wachowskis and possibly the most important movie in the past 30 years. Redefining, uh, maybe, maybe longer. Yeah, redefining uh, the big budget Hollywood film, redefining action cinema in the West. Incredibly influential to so many different things. Yeah, such a yeah. such a landmark film, and um, the Wachowskis have always been really open about the sea of influences that really inspired them to create the film. But it really feels like The Matrix is, I don't know, kind of like this great champion of so much of nerd culture from like the more esoteric sci-fi novels and short stories to comic books and manga and anime and Hong Kong action. And I mean, I can't think of a better example of a piece of pop culture fusion that just completely hits the bullseye. And dude, it's been so fun going back to this movie because at one point in my life, I was, I mean, I was watching the matrix on repeat just so so often. And I don't know why it is that, that I kind of like fell out of that routine over the last several years. Um, But dude, it was such a treat going back to it. Also this, I don't know if it's like a, commonly held take but for me there's something about like turn of the century cinema that is like maybe my favorite of like as far as like how movies look and are edited because everything is for the most part still shot on film but the cameras and lenses are of that like you know fourth fifth generation or whatever so everything is like super sharp but still really like grainy and rich and like digital color timing is now part of the process and that's really cool, but you still have, I I don't know. It's just, it's this great moment in time. And I definitely really, really miss that. And, and in some ways the matrix typifies that kind of aesthetic for me. Um, But yeah, also like things like fight club or Oh brother or out thou or whatever. It's like, there's a lot from this period that is just gorgeous looking and, Thankfully, now we have these beautiful 4K transfers and um, yeah, to such a treat to <laughs> to cover this movie finally. I can't believe, I mean, this is an, another one of those films that I think has been kind of like hovering over our yeah. heads from the time of starting the podcast. And I'm sure we've referred to it more than, than we realize. Yeah, and we're talking about the year 1999. So one of the things we didn't touch on too much over these episodes was uh hong kong's the the handover so yeah. we mentioned that during like super cop and so many different times so now we're to the point where the 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 cinema industry in hong kong is in this i mean point of transition that kind of honestly now looking back at it it was like the end of this era and now we're starting to get a lot of these uh creative forces from hong kong moving over to the west and the matrix is kind of like the huge footmark of hey this is this is hong kong moving over to the west and we've got yung wu ping uh who was like 
basically handpicked by the Wachowskis. They, uh, we mentioned it way, way back in our Fist of Legend episode, but <laughs> Fist of Legend was basically Yong Wu Ping's, um, uh, interview for the Matrix, whether he knew it or not. <laughs> um, they, they saw his work in that and they wanted to bring him over to do this. So, um, he and alongside Yun Shun Yi and some other of his, um, uh, regulars that he'd work with behind the camera, all came over and took this crew and molded them into Kung Fu superstars. <laughs> yeah, it's incredible because the the Wachowskis were really determined that there be as little kind of doubling as, as possible. And so that really meant getting this cast <laughs> into like fighting shape. Yeah. And none of them really had a background in that. Uh, so we're probably going to be referring to this feature length documentary um, quite a lot, which is that's also kind of a relic of its time. We tend to not get it, that kind of thing anymore. It is. I loved it. It's I had never amazing. watched it before getting ready for this episode. Yeah, it's called The Matrix Revisited. And it's all it was it was made. I think it was made in coordination with the one of the sequels yeah. but it's all about the creation of this first film and it's i mean it is some of it is very 2002 very you know uh that, that new millennium kind of stink on it but <laughs> right. it's it's so good and it really it genuinely dives into like every single big set piece in the movie every like there will be there's been multiple times where it talks about individual stunts and how they did them and how they prepared for them and everything and obviously you know fair warning it was this was a feature that was made in you know 2002 2003 came out with it obviously uses dead names left and right center because the Jessica's hadn't transitioned yet so you know, should be aware of that. But yeah, it's so it's so good and it's interesting because the Wachowskis don't do a lot of interviews, oh, so it no. is interesting yeah. seeing yeah. seeing just how kind of awkward they are in front of the camera talking about like you know decisions they made and stuff. Totally. Yeah, I thought there was a com- was there not a commentary on the first DVD? So the DVD, uh, the first DVD that I have has commentary track. Actually, a commentary track is like a score track with commentary by Don Davis, the composer, which is yeah, really that interesting. Amazing. And then there's another one that has um, some of the effects crew and Carrie Ann Moss. There's a, like an Ultimate Matrix release that has actually this interesting attempt at commentary where you've got two uh, people commentating that really enjoyed the film and then two people that were critical of it. But I, I I never revisited that. But oh, what wow. I I've never heard that do one. yeah. What I remember is that the people that were critical weren't that hard on it to begin with, so it didn't really pan out in the way you think it would. But it's an interesting. It's like take, Warner the, Brothers plants, where like yeah. Like, God, well, I this think the such a value for your money. This movie. Yeah. <laughs> I think that the Wachowskis actually chose the people to do the commentary That's for awesome. that release, which is interesting. But yeah, I mean, so the Wachowskis. This is like their big huge break in Hollywood before this they actually did uh, they wrote the script for assassins with uh, Sylvester Stallone and uh, Antonio Banderas and actually I I have a fun memory of that because in the summertime I would go with my family to visit my family in Puerto Rico every summer we would go and I remember the one summer they were filming that 
uh, film assassins in Puerto Rico. So we're trying to get oh, cool. oh no in, way yeah into San Juan because they were filming it in San Juan and um that was like a big huge thing that year and um I saw like the location so like you can see it a little bit in the movie if you see assassins. I mean, I'd recognize some of the spots, but they sold that script to Warner Brothers. And actually, the um, the president of production at that time, his name is Lorenzo de Bonaventura. He was the oh, president yeah. then, and he loved that script so much that he signed them to a three-picture deal. So then uh, after Assassins, they uh, their first directorial uh, film was Bound. And uh, that was like kind of a smaller film. How you recommend it if you haven't? Yeah, seen it's it. a great film. I, yeah, worth checking out for sure. And um, it had a budget of like maybe like six million, if I'm rem- remembering right. And that was a critical success. It was a smaller film, but um, they were riding the momentum of this success, and they were able to basically wrap Warner Brothers into funding The Matrix. And um, now they had their chance to really pull all these resources together. So um, the Wachowskis had originally done some comic book work, yeah. and they worked with an artist named Steve Scross on a, a book called Ecto Kid, which was like a on a sub a sub imprint in Marvel called. Let me see. Razorline. This is Carlos pulling his yeah. all his old stuff. I did take and notes. I think it was but- just Lana that worked on. Oh, okay, well, I mean, yeah. that was the relationship they had with Steve Scross, the artist. So they roped Steve Scross in to do storyboards for The Matrix. And the storyboards are really involved for The Matrix. Yeah. And actually, Beautiful. a lot of the pre-production stuff, yeah, it was so descriptive. Like, the script was very descriptive. that They had everything laid out. So it was just a matter of getting it executed. And um, along with Steve Scross, this artist, um, they also hired Jeff Darrow, who is, for me, one of my favorite yeah. artists ever. Yeah. And um, It's funny, actually, I talking about Jeff Darrow mm. um, a little bit ago. I have a shout out to my my buddies, the Rich and Spivzy, do a podcast about cartoons called Toon Hounds. Um, I was on an episode of that talking about a uh, big guy and Rusty, the boy robot. Oh, hell which yeah. Was, which is, it was an animated show on Fox Kids, but it was based on a Jeff Darrow comic. Yeah. And Jeff Darrow's art style is wild. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, um, like so detailed and like. I think I described disturbing. it as like grimy Where's Waldo. Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> oh, oh dude, wow. Perfect. I love that. Yeah. And yeah. We're like, it invites you in. Like yeah. everything has like this insane amount of detail and like. You know, if, if there's a crowd shot, there's like, you know, literally thousands of people in a, in a panel and mm-hmm. you can like see individual bits of, of their faces. It's wild. It's literally like a brain dump. You can see like so many times you can just see his stream of consciousness as he's like drawing these double spread pages, uh, like huge scenes. And um, yeah, so he worked. So Big Guy and Rusty, he worked with Frank Miller to to make that and um uh he had done a book with frank miller before that called hard boiled which is also just a wild ride and i know that at some points hard boiled was being planned to be a film and i can't remember who else was involved but um wonder what they would have named it yeah (laughs) right right. (laughs) and yeah here we're talking we mentioned frank miller before about his like love for japanese and asian cinema stuff so here we are again so um jeff darrow 
was hired on to do the story um not the storyboards the the concept, concept art. art yeah and um yeah honestly as we go through this film um these are pretty much the most accurate to that time like concept art to final product like in the film like they're so close you yeah. can really see like like how how strong like the vision was behind this film and how well that they were able to execute it what and also it's like i mean what we're kind of describing is like this dream team for the pre-production and i think part of what makes the matrix so successful is the wachowskis really allow this dream team to have a lot of authority and kind of ownership and and sort of say so over the over the product and kind of in the sphere that we focus on most often you know like the hong kong action side one of i don't know i think one of the greatest gems like from the feature length documentary is you really see some of the fighting pre-production which is basically yon wo ping and his team directing the action like with a camcorder like mm-hmm. choosing the shots choosing the edits and it really reminds me of what Ang Lee talked about with especially later in the film legendary fight between Michelle Yeoh and Zhang Ziyi that um, he says Yun Mo Ping basically directed that whole sequence in addition to the action directing. And it's like we've talked about with so many of these movies, you really can't separate the pieces. It's like the choice of the move and the choreography. It depends on the actor. It depends on the perspective of the camera, the time of day, all that stuff. And so, I don't know, it's it's amazing that you have these directors with such a vision, but um, they also really, they want uh, each of these artists to kind of spread their wings, which is, I don't know, so cool. Yeah, and they have, and it's it's cool because I feel like with um, with a lot of other directors, they would probably want to kind of like maintain a lot of control. But with the Chowskis, yeah. they have this huge amount of respect for Young Wu Ping. So they're like, yeah, you you have an idea for how to do this, you take it away mm-hmm. <laughs> because totally. Uh, we we've mentioned before on several episodes about how Yun Wu Ping is so good at not only using his guys that are you know these incredible pecking opera trained and all that stuff, but also he's really good at making non fighters look great. Yeah, and that's what shines so much in this because obviously it's a bunch of people who don't have any you know martial arts experience and they look incredible. Yeah, totally. And it's not as though there's you know zero doubling going on, but the doubling is always tasteful and yeah, um, yeah. The whole the whole mix is so great also um i think i mean just to add some more to the wachowski's brilliance here the fact that there was such a focus on pre-production and so much planning that meant that they really could collaborate with yun Ping in that kind of concept stage so when they're literally in the gym there's a great moment from the documentary and this is uh for the subway fight um with neo and agent smith and uh, Yun Ping was planning on it being, I think, a sequence of like three shots back to back where Neo and Agent Smith kind of fly towards each other with wires. And um, Lana keeps saying like, yeah, actually, I see this in like one shot. And eventually, um, oh, sh- I should also mention uh, Dion Lam is he's also part of the action crew and has done some work with the Yuns before. Um, but he really had done a lot of work in America. So, mm. so he's kind of the guy who's, 
who's sometimes kind of an intermediary, like translating things. And he went on to do fight choreography for Spider-Man two, which also had Bill Pope, the incredible cinematographer of this movie. Um, but anyways, so they're, they finally understand like what they're talking about and what the Wachowskis are looking for. And when, you know, Ping basically says like, Oh, I actually don't have enough guys to run that many wires. And so they're like, Oh, okay, well, we'll, we'll help with that. Uh, so it's really cool. So it's not as, I think they found this great balance where they could still really be involved, have their vision as as part of it, but like we're saying, also really respecting these artists. Yeah, I don't know. Can't, can't say enough about this movie. Yeah, I feel like we could really make this episode like two plus hours long and just still have so much to say. Well, I was kind of thinking we would focus a lot on the behind the scenes and Yun Wuping and, and his, yeah, yeah. his crew, their kind of involvement in it because- Obviously, like everyone's seen The Matrix, it's, <laughs> it's one of yeah. the most. It is probably the most popular movie we've talked about, on and also so thoroughly show, talked so. about. And like, yeah, that's yes. that's what I, I was going to say. Guess that like there are probably more dissertations on The Matrix than probably any other film of the last thirty years. I don't know. Yeah, it's not the case. But. This is one of the things that um, I wanted to mention too, because like this is like around this era, we would get these like books published, like philosophy of the matrix or i, I mean i even yeah, remember yeah, something yeah. like the philosophy of the simpsons people were really like excited to kind of really dig into the things uh like from the phil- philosophical side of pop culture and the matrix is like this is a pun but like a a perfect pill delivered to you of all of that yeah. that you can just consume so like one of the things that i think just works so well is that they're delivering you this sci-fi um theme where it's like honestly it's like we're doing the terminator again where it's like artificial intelligence has taken over humanity and this is like the war between man and machine and it does give you these like ideas like with the oracle you know like making you think like it's all like this like stoner talk you know like it is what if you're not in the real world you know and but i think the thing that's really cool to me about it is that they take these kind of high concept things that you know people would kind of scoff at but in order to deliver it to like the widest uh, reaching audience they throw kung fu into the middle of it so it's like action and kung fu and all of that stuff like kind of is like the gateway drug to lead you to think about these things like artificial yeah. intelligence and all of that. It also is kind of like a, you know, quote unquote, Eastern mysticism kind yeah. of thing too. Cause like totally, when you're already totally. in the mindset of, you know, thinking about reality and, and the nature of like, you know, creation, higher power and stuff. It also kind of goes hand in hand with like this Western idea of, chi and like energy and you know other totally, kind of totally. co-opted you know uh stuff from from like buddhism and Taoism and stuff it, it it makes a it makes for a really cool uh thing i do i like how you said it's kind of like stoner philosophy because i i feel like yeah yeah i feel like the philosophy of the matrix definitely gets kind of over represented mm-hmm. in a lot of ways yeah it's like well at the end of the day it's not that complicated of a movie it's just like there there's basically a, a a everyone lives in a virtual reality 
and some people are fighting against the robots that are creating the virtual reality. Yeah. <laughs> like, and, and, and yeah, I think it's like the, the sequels, I think kind of expose yes. um, mm-hmm. maybe like how, how thin some of the actual like lore or world yeah. building is, but it's yeah. like in this first movie, it's like we have just, we move at such a beautiful clip that like, we're just kind of like skimming the water of, of a lot of those things. And um, I will say like going back to it, if, uh, after all this time, I think I was I was also appreciating a kind of like, uh, and I mean this with love, but a kind of like cheesiness that um, wasn't kind of part part of how I used to see the movie. Yeah. Um, but even that, I feel like, really kind of hits this awesome this awesome target where it's like it's you're only kind of dwelling in an area like just enough before you're onto something that is a bit more kind of intellectually stimulating or even profound or just like a piece of cinema that's super kinetic and interesting. Um, but yeah, I mean, I feel like once we have more uh, runway in the sequel films, it's, we kind of dig our own great. I mean, I don't <laughs> yeah. feel like it's that controversial. If somebody likes those sequels, that's awesome. But um, mm-hmm. I, I yeah, think it's I, I kind of wish take. it was just this one movie. But I, Yeah, I do feel like, yeah, the, the sequels do a lot to damage i mean i don't even know if it was going to be a franchise but the success of the first film spawned a franchise and yeah here we are but um what i was going to say also about like these philosophical themes is that uh, another a way to kind of add like kind of superficial meat to the bone of that is theming and i mean what we have here is characters with names that are referencing other things we have like alice in wonderland and um i also think of something like uh neon genesis evangelion so in evangelion Mm -hmm. all of like the naming conventions and a lot of like themes behind that is like all this religious stuff so people think it's like oh this is so super deep like you know sephiroth and or you know adam and eve and all of these things and here in the matrix we have these similar uh devices to kind of pull you into the message that they're trying to tell you and i think that that kind of pads it out a bit to make it seem like it's deeper than it is and i think that people like to kind of use that like as like their Easter eggs that like, oh, I knew that. Maybe you didn't know it, but I knew it. And that's why the <laughs> stuff that I like is so deep and cool, you know? Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah I, so I think it can fall into some of those traps. But um, I honestly feel like at service level, this could have really been kind of compared to the Terminator in a lot of ways. But the way that sure. they handle everything that kind of leads you up to the point of artificial intelligence taking over humanity really sets it apart so i you don't really ever hear comparisons to the terminator outside of it being such a huge film yeah because it is at the end of the day they're both about artificial intelligence and a war between you know robots and humans Mm -hmm. but they're very very different approaches and of course obviously the fun of the terminator films is that it's robots coming into the modern day Mm -hmm. and not you know, us existing in their time, except for the one Terminator that does. And that movie sucks. <laughs> <laughs> nice. <laughs> oh, but I just, suppose there is like a, I'll similar... take any excuse to dunk on salvation. That movie. Oh, sucks. Dude, please do. <laughs> anyways, anyways, continue. Oh no, I was just saying it's like there, there is a little bit of like kindred filmmaking mm-hmm. approach or something um, where I feel like the best Cameron films have this kind of weight to them. It's like this weight mixed with like popcorn fun. 
Um, mm-hmm. And that I feel like that's totally here in the in the original Matrix. And uh, and I know yeah, and- Cameron himself was like a huge fan of the movie. I mean, they deal with the idea of fate. Like, do you have the ability to change your yeah. own fate? And that's a major thing in the Matrix. Um, yeah, a lot of similar. You got a dude in a helicopter and a huge <laughs> minigun. You know, yeah, <laughs> you've got all these uh, liquid metal special effects. Also, um, yeah, crucial sunglasses. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> there's there's so much to say. I mean, and. and you mentioned it a little while ago, uh, Marty, but like, yeah, just kind of pulling from all of these different things that all of us nerds liked at the time, like anime and Hong Kong cinema. So like there's there's like Akira in this. There's Ghost in the Shell in this. Hard Boiled, yeah. we mentioned. I mean, you know, obviously Fists of Legend. I mean, even like Superman, right? Like Neo is like Superman. You yeah, know? totally. And uh, I mean, Jesus also, all of these things just there's a lot of biblical stuff in Mm -hmm. in this, like a lot of, like you said, it's a lot of kind of just surface level names, like obviously, you know, like the Nebuchadnezzar Mm -hmm. and Trinity and Zion, basically Jesus. Yeah. But yeah, it's, it all leads to this cool, it's this cool combination. And actually that whole thing of like naming characters after like western religious things with not really a whole lot of specific cohesion is a very asian thing because like you mentioned like a lot of anime and video games do that too like Mm -hmm. you know you said sephiroth and and evangelion is just chock full of that and Mm -hmm. stuff like that so i mean i guess what i what i also want to say is like somehow and i don't know how this happened but when i was in high school I had no idea about this film until I saw it the the week it came out. So uh, it was basically this thing. I was hanging out with some friends and they were like, hey, you want to go see The Matrix? And I'm like, I don't know. Sure. What's that? Let's go. And I have no idea. I mean, so one of the things I've been thinking about leading up to this episode is how could it have snuck past me? And one of the things I do remember is that the marketing for this film was, I mean, they would show you scenes from the movie, but the whole idea was what is the matrix? And that was like the website. And that was like the kind of tagline. Unfortunately, no one can be told what the matrix is. You have to see it for yourself. Yeah. So I I think maybe it was something like that that just it snuck past me. This is almost like a Gabo from The Simpsons. Like yeah. what what is Gabo? <laughs> you know? And um everyone is saying Gabo this and Gabo that. But no one is saying worship this and Jericho that. Was this about Gabo? <laughs> seeing seeing the Matrix without knowing what it was and no build up at all. It was insane how I'll bet. how like crazy of a film experience it was to me and i mean yeah people see it after hearing about it i mean now by now it's been so influential that it's almost a joke you know because like there's been parodies of like the bullet time and uh so many video games have been influenced by the matrix but to could to see that unfold in front of you without knowing about it i I feel very blessed to have experienced it that way yeah dude yeah. that's that's amazing that was one of the things i was gonna mention was that it's it's almost some of the movie it almost takes a minute to kind of get into the movie watching it today because sure. so much of 
whenever you hear the Matrix in your head, you're probably thinking of the 8 million things that were inspired or parodied the Matrix before you think about the movie itself. Because, like, the very first, you know, the very first scene with, with Trinity escaping from the, the cops is, like, it, you know, it's, it's a great scene, but, like, it almost feels silly whenever I'm watching it now because I'm seeing, I'm not sure, seeing this you revolutionary, you know, bullet time yeah. for the first time. I'm seeing it for the millionth time. And it, it feels like weird. There's a there's a concept that's really interesting to me that's it's on TV tropes, but I've heard people reference it everywhere called uh, Seinfeld isn't funny. Yeah, yeah. And the whole idea of it is that Seinfeld was such an influential show that everything kind of ripped from it and, you know, stole its formula and its kind of idea and characters and things like that. So that whenever you go back to it, it almost feels like it's it feels like kind of un, not fresh and stuff in, in some ways. Yeah, obviously, totally. I, I still I still think it's funny, but in a lot of ways, because so many things took from it. Whenever you see the things, the the original thing, it, it has less of an impact. Yeah, it's sort of like why we need footnotes to read, not just like Shakespeare, but even like Sherlock Holmes stories, let's say, like a lot of editions yeah. have footnotes. It's like there are references, jokes, even like kind of like major threads that you're just going to miss if you didn't like share that generational or cultural experience. And I mean, it's kind of a shame. We wish that like these pieces of art just could like stand on their own feet yeah. forever, but it's just, it's not the nature of our like awesome, evolving, changing yeah. culture. Yeah. But um yeah, I, I totally, I totally hear, yeah, I hear what you're saying. And I mean, I think it, it extends to so much of the movie, even a lot of the kind of more like technological visual motifs and visualizations and stuff. It's hard to express that like, hey, at the time there was very little that was like this at all in cinema. And I don't know, 20 or 30 years later, it's like we have this these kinds of aesthetic choices and visualizations and edits and stuff, not only in our films, but in our commercials and TV shows and video game cutscenes, And yeah, it's, I don't know if it's possible to like totally go in, go in fresh, but I don't know. I mean, yeah, I think whatever we can, whatever you can do to kind of help someone's first viewing by giving them like a little bit of context without making it boring or whatever. I think that's probably good. <laughs> Give them an edible or something. But I mean, I got, I don't know guys, do you, do you want to kind of skip through this, this plot or do you want to just rock and roll with the way we're going right now? Yeah. I hear what you're saying. In some ways, I mean, it's the matrix. We've got a rock and roll or techno rock and roll. I feel like. <laughs> yeah. Actually that's, you know, I, I think, I think you were saying all this as an off the record thing, but that's the thing I kind of loved about the matrix that I didn't really kind of didn't remember is that whenever you think about the matrix, you think about like Dragula and prodigy and, you know, like, yeah, yeah. you know, these late nineties kind of like EDM artists, but the, the movie has a score and the score is incredible. Score's incredible. Yeah. Don Davis and,
it's so good and it, it works with it perfectly. And whenever there are the needle drops, they're, you know, they're, they're really fun, you know, get some rage against the machine at the end and stuff. But it's like, that's not what the whole score is. Most of the score is that. Yeah, that totally. Great, you know, kind of classic stuff. Yeah. And I'm with you, Matthew. I think like the more of the film is scored than, than folks might remember. And yeah, I can't say enough about Don Davis's score. Actually, this is one of those rare film scores that uh, I think is out of print right now, but was at oh, one really? point commercially available as like a study score through uh, Omni Music Publishing. Um, oh, wow. But what's what's so cool about his approach to it is it's, um, you know, it's written for and recorded with, um, you know, live players, like a symphonic orchestra, but it's written in a very like modern, um, meaning like John Adams or Philip Glass kind of style where it's a lot of these little cells. So it's like, okay, first violins are playing like this little cellular fragment and then kind of repeating it ad infinitum. And then, um, you know, the clarinets are playing like this and it's, and so there is this kind of almost like digital experience that's built from like the acoustic elements and it's all like handwritten. So it's not really like chopped up in a computer, but it's the orchestra acting like a computer. Um, and I feel like that, uh, that totally weds with the kind of filmmaking that I so love in this movie where it's like, it's the film meeting the digital grading, you know, and Mm. all that stuff. It's like, I don't know. It's just such a, such a sweet spot, but, um, yeah, I feel like it's probably forever going to be an underrated score just cause like the soundtrack was, uh, so huge for this movie mm-hmm. when it came out and I didn't realize it at the time, but it was almost kind of like the last like final note of like kind of the techno, you know, the UK sort of techno wave that was big kind of for a minute. Cause I feel like yeah. even back then we wouldn't, we didn't use the term EDM all that much. Yeah, that's that's kind of kind of anachronistic. But, it's, but yeah, it's kind of a better way to, of 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 bracketing it. Um, yeah. But like, yeah, I mean, obviously those needle drops are amazing, especially "Club to Death." I feel like it's like maybe the that's most the best legendary yeah. one. But yeah, it's you don't have this movie without the the Don Davis score. And, yeah. yeah. So so for me, it's it's interesting too because I I was thinking about that quite a bit too. Because I mean, obviously, I love the music too, and technically, I don't have the chops that you guys have. But this score is interesting to me because like the most iconic stuff that people think of are like the more dissonant parts you know whenever anybody's doing some like physical feat or you know like it's this kind of swelling kind of dissonant strings horn situation and uh, that's even like what Stephen Chow would call back to in Kung Fu Hustle towards the end of that film and you know it's not using these melodic moments or you know kind of more beautiful moments it's it's all the dissonant stuff that people really come away with because of how it was tied to what was happening in the movie. And I, I can't really think of another example uh, where the score, like, is represented this way. I would argue that it, the Inception... Oh, Wong, sure. That's kind, of, that's kind of an example that's, of that. But yes, that, for the most yeah, part, you're right. That's a really great comparison, yeah. <laughs> right, where um, it's like, it's not like there's a famous melody, there's a famous, like, texture or, like, sound yeah, or something. Yeah, yeah. And the, but the soundtrack, too, yeah, like, the songs... 
I I didn't really buy a lot of CDs when I was a kid. Like I wasn't I don't know, I guess I wasn't cool like listening to music or whatever, but um I would say that like this soundtrack and the Mortal Kombat soundtrack like really oh, introduced nice. me to a lot of like industrial music and for Dude, many yeah. years I didn't realize that I liked industrial music because I just didn't put those like connect those dots, but yeah, both of those soundtracks are very full of industrial hits and from that from that era. Actually, yeah, that that leads to a good a good talking point. Uh, you already talked about it a little bit, Carlos, but what was y'all's history like, personal history with the Matrix? Yeah, good question. Um, I was not uh, fortunate or smart enough to to catch it in the theater, <laughs> um, so definitely watched it like. I think probably the first time I watched it would have been like a VHS rental. Um, but it's worth saying that uh, in addition to all of its other like innovations and uh, accolades, like the matrix was really crucial for getting the DVD market kind of on its feet. And at one point it was like the, the be- most be- like the best selling DVD. And I remember there was another stat where it was like, the most likely DVD to be in someone's collection or something, something like that. Um, so I think that was really important, but I actually was, I watched it by myself in high school, I think with like a tape rental and just, yeah, blew my mind, went crazy. And then it really felt like everyone in my life, like, was obsessed with the movie and we were just talking about it all the time. So like Mm -hmm. it felt like every circle of friends that I kind of bisected or whatever was into the movie. Um, My girlfriend at the time, huge into the movie and into the soundtrack and everything. And yeah, we just used to just watch it into the ground. Um, (laughs) So yeah, I mean, it really felt like it was like an inseparable part of that, like turn of the century, um, experience so yeah i would say that's kind of my history with it how about you matthew so i'm a bit younger than y'all so i whenever i saw this i was probably like 10 9 or 10 it was one of for the longest time i thought this was the first r-rated movie that i ever saw but i found out years later that um air force one is actually rated r and i saw that when i was like eight both are incredible a- <laughs> made in ours. That's so great. Um, Air Force One is a goofy ass movie. Um, Dude, I love it's a very movie. light R too. Like I don't even sure yeah, if they ever true. like say fuck or anything. I think it's just violence. But yeah. <laughs> he he says, um, "Get off my fucking plane." He does not say. Oh, <laughs> I thought he did. <laughs> nah. Just kidding. Um, but yeah, but the Matrix is Matrix is great. Um, I I loved it as a, a kid, and I was like. It was one of those, like, I had already seen, I watched it on, probably on DVD, because I watched it with my brothers, and I remember, I remember, you know, watching it with them, you know, in, like, our upstairs bonus room on, you know, of course, on a 4x3. It might have been a widescreen version, I can't remember, Mm. but actually, I think it was because, because I I distinctly remember laughing after that, the, the huge, you know, lobby fight where they're in the elevator yeah yeah in the piece of the wall falls oh good call that's like a you need the aspect ratio for that yeah yeah you probably wouldn't be able to see that if it was a pan scan or whatever but 
Um, but yeah, and I, I, I really enjoyed it. And of course, this was kind of my budding being a film nerd bit was because not long after The Matrix was whenever the Lord of the Rings movies came out. And I was obsessed with those in middle school. And that was like my first learning about connections with people as I was whenever I was like, oh, wait, Agent Smith's the elf guy? Wait. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, you know, learning about seeing connections between actors and stuff and dude awesome hugo weaving was on like a roll just for like making a buttload of money for being in different franchises he was yeah. in lord of the rings he was he's a voice of megatron in those michael bay movies the transformers movies yeah he just he was the red skull in the original captain america like he was hitting at the just at the right time to <laughs> become the perfect character actor for all of these films <laughs> dude yeah totally <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I said, yeah, I, I saw it in high school with some friends, and yeah, it just kind of, I mean, it didn't change my life, but it did change my life, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, it was just the coolest thing, and I think that that's another thing that's really fun is just to ask people what, what their Matrix experience was like. Swim fans did an episode on the Matrix, and um, it's really fun to hear, like, everybody's, like, histories behind it. Alex has yeah. a really fun story about, I think it was from the sequels, where one of his local theaters had like kind of a scavenger hunt and they, they played a game and won like posters and stuff, which is really cool. Um, yeah. But you can literally just go to anybody. If you're talking about this stuff, ask them about the Matrix and they'll have their own story because it was such a, a landmark moment culturally. Dude, yeah, totally. And also, um, in addition to Hugo Weaving, this really kind of sets off this amazing chapter of Yun Ping's career. I mean, <laughs> this is really this is like his first kind of a brush with Hollywood and knocks it out of the park with this like legendary classic. And then, you know, shortly after that, Crouching Tiger comes out and kind of all during this time, you know, whatever studios have some kind of license arrangement or rights for any of his old movies, those are getting kind of pushed out left and right. Um, and you also get uh, Quentin Tarantino sort of producing a redistribution uh, of Iron Monkey. Um, yeah, and that was from like the early 90s, Bill. right? Yeah, uh, yeah, like yeah. Yeah, yeah Iron Monkey is like 90. Yeah. Um, something like that. I think it's 93, but yeah, like right okay. around that same same window. And then, you know, soon after that, you have the Kill Bill films. Um, and so it's like, I don't know. It's uh, I'm still so grateful for that period because it really was like, okay, if if it's great action, it's Yuen Wolping like period. Um, and that really I, I don't know that you would have that story kind of without the Wachowskis and without the Matrix. Um, and I do think um, I think we were kind of talking about this in the beginning that you know, the film is drawing from all of these sources totally with love. Um, and I think for a lot of the us like nerds in the audience, we, we did kind of take this as a launching off point. And a lot of folks, I think, um, like started pursuing, you know, Kung Fu cinema or anime or manga, like because of what they were excited about in the matrix. And I don't know, I think that's really special. There's I feel like, especially these days, um, 
I don't know, maybe there's just like a negative tinge to, to most conversations, but I feel like often we're talking about like, oh, this stole from this and this ripped from this, and this is like <laughs> appropriating from that. And it's like, um, first of all, I think most of those things are a matter of a, opinion and a matter of degrees as far as like how, how things are played with or like presented, but there, there's somehow, there was something about the matrix that, that felt like very inviting. Uh, it's like, if you if you like this movie, I, I remember it feeling like it was so much easier to kind of encourage someone to, uh, to kind of look at a Kung Fu film and, you know, or like, yeah. Hey, like here, like I just made you like a techno mixtape. Um, it's, <laughs> it's like, yeah. So I, I do. Uh, I, I I super appreciate that, and also I kind of wonder if maybe like the just like the nature of the internet and YouTube and like all of our other uh, channels right now, it's like we're not only missing out on the like the philosophy of the Matrix book because we have a bunch of like how do I say this nicely, but more like kind of like <laughs> bottom feeding nobodies making YouTube editorial content. So it's <laughs> yeah. like that gets all super saturated and you couldn't imagine like bringing a book like that to market. And it's also like a book, like why would that be the format? Um, so it's, I feel like the saturation is like maybe an issue now. Also, I think there's something about like seeing other like YouTubers or other people on social media that like point to a thing and they can, you know, they could just put side by side the shot of like, uh, like a nope, like there's like a really direct, like Akira homage from Kiki yep. Palmer on the bike. And so it's like someone could just put those clips side by side. And I, I don't know. I don't know if a person would be encouraged to go watch Akira, you know, cause like we've done kind of the work for them of like, you know, putting the pieces together. I don't know. Maybe I'm like, well, I think, too far I think what you're saying is that context, and we've talked about this so many times, context is lost in, in discourse these days. It's all about like trying to raise a flag and show you something before the other guy shows you something. And um, yeah, I think that that does a lot to diminish. Uh, and also so much noise of like making the same point again and again and again. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I mean, not that that shouldn't happen, but it's like, I feel like this is a point in time where that was just happening offline tons, you know, where it's like, I'm sure millions of people were having the same conversation with their friends about it. It's a different phenomenon when you like have that redundancy kind of like out in the airwaves or something. Sure. So, okay, let me pivot this towards the matrix. So we're, we're also talking about something like an algorithm, right? So artificial intelligence, you guys. So <laughs> <laughs> these, these things, what, what's pushing us to look at the things that we look at on the internet. And, um, I think that, I mean, in the very basic way they handle this in the matrix where you're literally being force fed what you're supposed to believe in this virtual right. world. And, um, I actually, I did a little bit of homework because like artificial intelligence goes w way farther back than I expected this goes yeah. back like to i mean basically almost the the 40s is like the beginnings of of what would become artificial intelligence but uh, i wanted to ask you guys a question so do you have an idea what year the first death of a human by a robot occurred Ooh, oh because it's already happened okay um, how are you defining robot yeah that's a great follow-up <laughs> um, well, I mean, not like a humanoid robot, like, like, a could it be like, like an arm at a, 
at like a factory that floor? is exactly that's the exact answer that i was looking for so oh, okay. Okay. in january on january 25th in 1979 uh there's a ford motor company ford motor company casing plant in flat rock michigan and yeah there was a robotic sorting arm in the plant that was malfunctioning and there was a worker that went to kind of expedite um uh, production and that robot arm wasn't equipped with any sensors to prevent it from uh, hitting someone and it killed a man oh. named Robert Williams oh, and uh, yeah so he's he's recorded as the first official death by a robot pretty wild wow yeah <laughs> but like artificial intelligence like I mean these days I think uh, if you're like on Twitter or anything, and if you're in the art world, there's all these AI art programs now that yeah. are basically like a neural network. So um, it's pulling resources based on like uh, all the images it can find on the internet. So you Dude, write I a guess prompt. that is kind of Wachowski and it's sort of like, yeah. oh, I like this. I like this. I like this. Mm. Um, sure. Sure. So that's like kind of a hot thing lately. And I have conflicted emotions about it. But I mean, the neural network is something where you like feed something information and then it uses that as a resource to come up with a solution to something else. A learning computer. Yeah. But it's kind of, <laughs> it's kind of scary because yeah. yeah they're they're like self-improving yeah, uh, yeah. you know programs and honestly uh they call them black box ai because all we know is what we give it and then what comes out they you actually don't know how it comes up with the answers that it comes up with which is pretty right pretty scary to think about <laughs> yeah <laughs> totally i mean i think it's like the i have a feeling that what most of us um find sort of eerie or uncanny is the sense that like there's no uh like thumbprint or there's no way to kind of mark the origin of mm. of a thing like whether it's like deep fake visual or audio or machine learning ai generated art um there's something that seems just kind of instinctively like troubling about that um whereas i feel like the the tool itself i could see being really useful and really interesting but it also seems to me that it's like none of these things are like artist motivated because i feel like most creative folks that i know in my life or that i've ever met like in whatever field of art i don't know they they tend not to seem like driven by some of the same things that seem to drive a lot of like the coding world Mm. which i guess like i view as more like optimized focused you know i feel like a lot of the digital coding folks it's like there's such an emphasis on optimizing obviously because it's through this substrate of like code and computing and numbers it's computational in nature and i'm sure there are some artists maybe there's a lot of them that are i don't know motivated by that kind of thing but i think for the most part artists have usually been interested in almost the opposite where it's like okay what is it that makes me so strange or, or unique and it's not that they wouldn't want to refine their craft or their facility with something, but actually very often an artist might not want to question some aspect of their craft that maybe an outsider would call a defect or something like that. It's like, oh, that's what gives my voice, my pen, my instrument, like its style or its point of view. And there's something about that kind of uniqueness or idiosyncrasy 
idiosyncrasy or whatever that sparks something in, you know, in your audience or listeners or readers or viewers or whatever. Um, so yeah, I, I guess it's like, I have more of an issue with kind of like the premise that's like driving all of this. It's like, oh, it's, it's, it's something parallel to I th- what I see driving most artists. Um, yeah, it's not I, that it isn't interesting, but it's like, it doesn't really have much to do with why this little boy or girl like is kind of mm-hmm. dying to paint or draw or write or sing, you know? Yeah. I, my, my quick take, and I, we're getting into the, the, the weeds, but um, it's a, I, it's a new tool that we can use. My issue is that it's a, it's a very easy tool that anyone can use. So people are kind of gravitate towards that. It's like you're, you're getting an immense power without having the wisdom of how to use it. And I think that it's it's kind of rampant right now when it comes to AI yeah. art is what I'm talking about. Yeah, yeah. But like we, I, think I the, mean, AI music's been a thing. You know, that's that's yeah. a thing. And then the the big thing is that it's just you can you know ultimately what makes an artist a great artist isn't purely their technical skill. Yeah, because like someone can be pure, like technical skill can elevate art, obviously, but a lot of it there's more to it than just the you know the lines look nice or whatever. Yeah, so, totally. Like you said, it's it's it has come like like you said with AI music, like AI music, it can be interesting to hear it, but it's usually not like more than a curiosity. Yeah, so. and it usually doesn't go to number one. Exactly. Yeah, not yet. I'm sure it will at some <laughs> point, but you know. <laughs> Actually, that's it's fun bringing it back to the Matrix. That was a thing where I've wa- I've seen the Matrix a few times. I didn't watch it like obsessively, but watching it obviously in you know the year two thousand, they said you know nineteen ninety nine is like the peak of humanity. And then rewatching it in like high school, early college, it's like hey, that's funny that nineteen ninety nine is the peak of clean. humanity. And then watching it again in 2022, and I'm like, eh, baby. <laughs> That's yeah, funny. Like, I don't, I don't maybe know. give or take five or six years, like, they're, they're not wildly wrong. Yeah. yeah. I do think those uh, cell phones look cool, even if they're super dated. They yeah, do the true. cell phone slide out. That that's, that's awesome. Genuinely, I think they obviously they don't dive into it because this is goofy. But I feel like there is a a genuine connection in the Matrix between how cool you look and how powerful you are. I love it, <laughs> dude. They're totally well, they, because yeah. they mentioned whenever, the... whenever Neo first goes in, like in the mission that goes south, he isn't wearing his awesome outfit with the sunglasses. But dude, whenever he yeah. goes back in to save Morpheus, he is, and that's whenever he wins. So. And they. Have have i mean they mentioned residual self-image and like when you enter the matrix it's not what you actually look like but how you vision yourself so i i mean there's probably a direct correlation with that when it comes to them looking cool they do cooler things because they think Mm -hmm. they're cooler i love it yeah um and that's that's, very that's very anime yeah it's very like if you believe in yourself hard enough then you'll Mm -hmm. be powerful and i mean we i guess we haven't really mentioned it too much either but the pacing of this film is so so good like it's it's probably the the best paced film that i've ever seen and it, it actually at moments you're almost feel like you've been tricked at how well the movie is paced. Yeah. But um yeah. one of the things they do that I love is that the basically the the training 
uh, like in a Hong Kong film, like the training sequence, he like it's a download. He's like, all right, I know kung fu, and then yeah. you're get you don't have yeah, to sit through the too. yeah you don't have to sit through the training. You just get to see this amazing fight immediately after that. Yeah, they, which is peppered with great little like aphorisms and bits of wisdom oh sure from Morpheus. But yeah, like you're saying, you don't have the like 1970s era either montage or like slightly overlong <laughs> sequence. Yeah. So yeah. Or it's the entire movie except for the last <laughs> yeah. scene. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> hey, don't talk smack about 36 Chamber, man. How dare you? <laughs> I, w- I was going to say, I love excuses from Shaolin. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. So um, Dude, it's like such a Rorschach test. Everybody's thinking about a different yeah. movie. Uh, but somehow they're all like Lao Garlung exactly (laughs) um i think that the the device of like the matrix the virtual world it really gives them this like caveat to bend the rules in such a way that you're just rewarded constantly constantly as that the movie pulls you through because the whole like first act of it is basically like you have no idea what it is then once it's revealed what it is you you're just like wondering what can happen what can't happen so anything yeah. that they throw at you is accepted it's there's no suspension i mean you know you, you're not playing detective to see what works and what doesn't work you're just swept through the film enjoying all of these crazy feats and i mean they'll leave you with you know neo saying what are you trying to tell me that i can dodge bullets no neo trying to tell you that when you're ready you won't have to and that is such an amazing back and forth right there because they're talking to you as the viewer and not only that they're telling you basically what's going to happen but they're also leaving it open enough so that you don't understand what it would actually be at the end of the film and then when it does happen it's just like this huge magical moment that works so well um yeah i it's It's hard to overstate it, <laughs> right? Yeah. Like I think yeah, I'm, that, like I'm getting like a new appreciation of of something, like just how you were outlining all that, Carlos, which I think was beautiful. But it's like because this movie comes out in 1999, which they <laughs> define as the peak of humanity. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it's like we do have an internet. Obviously, like what is the matrix dot com is on the poster and everything, but it's still it's still fairly early days. And I mean, I didn't look up the stats, but in terms of like internet connections in the home, it's at, you know, much lower percent than it, than it would be even in like five years later. Um, But it's like, on the one hand, the matrix is this kind of cautionary sci-fi about um, the overreach of technology. But because of when it's released and some of what it's talking about, it actually is also this kind of like sales pitch uh, kind of for, for the internet and for like digital transfer and a free digital uh, like kind of repository of information. And so I don't know, I, I hadn't really noticed that kind of tension. And I think it's probably part of why the movie is so successful, because by and large, we don't think of cautionary sci-fi as being a huge hit with the kids, you know? Right. Um, and The Matrix is like such a smash hit of a movie, because I think it's like, there, you know, for instance, compared to what we were talking about a few minutes ago with like the machine learning art, 
when Neo downloads his Kung Fu, there are zero drawbacks. You know, it's, this isn't a movie that's having a lesson of like, hey, you can't take a shortcut. You know, there's going to be some consequence for doing that. No, this movie is actually kind of, it's like super optimistic when it comes to that like digital technology. Yeah. And so it's that's like one of my, this kind one of, of my fun, favorite. Yeah. One of my favorite uh, bits whenever they do that is whenever there's the helicopter and, and he's like, can you fly that thing? Not yet. Yeah, it's so cool. I love that. Yeah, yeah, and so the the other thing I wanted to say too that I, I mean we're we're in the year 2022, and one of the devices in the Matrix is their exit is to get to a landline. Yeah, and dude, yeah. I think nowadays there's like this generational gap where people. <laughs> I mean, I've seen like memes on on the internet where people are showing a kid a landline or, or like an old rotary phone, and they're like freaking out when it calls their when smartphone. Yeah, <laughs> and they're like, "What? That that's a thing?" Like, so like I think that that's a kind of something that is, I guess, a little more meaningful now as the years go on. That I I don't think people really mention when it comes to the Matrix. <laughs> I yeah. think it's pretty funny. Oh man, there's so much to talk about. We haven't even really like talked about the plot for <laughs> like an yeah. hour. Through. I mean, so but I think yeah. also like you said, and you were talking we about know this too, it. Matthew. It's like it's such a widely talked mm-hmm. about and seen movie. Um, yeah, yeah. I, I mean, think the, even, the, like the Wikipedia synopsis, like it's, yeah. it's probably as detailed as as any mm-hmm. synopsis is out there. Mm-hmm. But, but what I I guess what I want to talk about when it comes to the plot of the film is that well I didn't I didn't know how to really approach this because you know we did mention the Wachowskis being trans now and how that I mean according to the interviews that I've heard that the matrix really wasn't put together with that message in mind but they're happy that something yeah. like that has yeah, come to light that, yeah. that can be read yeah. that way and then the, the i mean the other thing about like the crew of the nebuchadnezzar is like this kind of found family they're not related but they're kind of awakening each other and supporting each other in that sense so i, yeah, I think it's, that's it's a very queer kind yeah. of uh, analogy mm-hmm. can definitely be read there so i mean and i mean i'm a straight straight dude i'm married so i don't feel like i have like the the platform to really talk but i think <laughs> that it's a cool thing that you can really interpret it that way and it can work yeah. for you and and more than just this sci-fi delivery i think that's that's pretty awesome yeah, and that's also why it's a shame that the the phrase being red pilled has been completely co opted by the worst people imaginable. Yeah, well, I mean that happens so many times with you oh, know, yeah. different movies, like I don't know what Carlito's Way or Fight Club. You know, sure. people oh, yeah. just reading things like how they the the completely wrong way or how they feel. Well, and I think it also speaks to like the impact and significance of like a piece of art if it's like mm-hmm. the fact that it has resonance like. You know, on both ends of a political like spectrum or extre- both extremes of political spectrum, it's like, dude, hardly any movie can do that. <laughs> yeah, I yeah. said Carlito's way. I meant Scarface, but Carlito's because it's I'm Carlito. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> nice. dude, I probably prefer Carlito's way to Scarface. It's whenever you said that, I was just kind of going with it. I've I've never <laughs> seen Carlito's way, so it's like, sure, I believe I believe you. Scarface is the one. You yeah, know, Scarface is the one. Definitely the one. People got the exact opposite. Video uh, enough what that movie's about. Yeah, it's fun. Um, but that's that's a fascinating topic too. People reading the wrong message in movies. Mm-hmm. But yeah, the um, 
it's it is it is i love how uh, i think it was lana that answered that the, basically whenever an interview said like people see the matrix as a trans allegory because you know it's all about feeling like the world's wrong and then a person says like that's because the world is wrong and you can do this thing literally taking a pill a la taking like right, estrogen right. or testosterone to you know kind of wake up to what the world should be and stuff um but i, I love that the way that she answered it was basically like that's not really what we were going for but i love that people see that mm-hmm. yeah <laughs> which totally. that's such a that's such a, a great so honest to too yeah. and like being like yeah that's cool and you know it's not but there's nothing wrong with seeing it that way, mm-hmm. which I always like whenever our artists aren't like, you know, this is exactly how you're supposed to see it or whatever. Yeah, totally. I think uh, another, so like another, uh, oh, sorry. If we want to, I don't know if we want to, if we want to talk about actual like story beats. Yeah, I do. I definitely, okay. Let, definitely let's talk about do. story beats then. Yeah. Uh, one other point we'll, we'll come up we're doing that. Well, we'll, we'll, we'll go through the plot. We'll, I, we've already been talking for over an hour, so we'll, we're not going to go like beat by beat, but, but yeah, the, I mean, the basic plot is, you know, Thomas Anderson's this this hacker that goes by the name Neo and gets, you know, caught up in this rebellion against the, the AI that uh, created the virtual reality. And I, I, the whole the entire first like 10 minutes of the movie, it feels like you could like watch it and like half speed and not catch everything that's happening in it. Um, <laughs> oh dear. I, I yeah. should say the first 10 minutes after the, the initial like Trinity escape yeah, scene, like the cold open. Totally. Cause like, it's very dense with a lot of stuff happening kind of one after the other, after the other with him in his apartment. And you know, the guy the very club. on the nose saying that you're my personal Jesus yeah. Christ. <laughs> and oh. The girl with the, the white rabbit tattoo and, Right. And the the fact that Neo, uh, yeah, he's like selling, he's got like a side hustle where he's selling software or something. Yeah. And, um, or something. Or it's something. They don't, yeah, they don't really say. But he opens it's just this like book. cracked SimCity 2000 or something. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's amazing. Oh, that's, that's too good. Um, but the book that he opens up is Simulacra and Simulation by Jean yeah. Baudrillard. And um, I know that the Wachowskis that was a had huge influence on the movie. Yeah, had they had like the like Keanu and like them, they they read like a handful of books just to kind of prepare them for the mindset of the film. I think the other one was let's see, Out of Control, The New Biology of Machines by Kevin Kelly and Introducing Evolutionary Psychology by Dylan Evans. I did not read any of these in preparation for the podcast, but you can imagine like, you know, <laughs> the the thought behind giving your actors this and like the world building that's involved with uh, with the Matrix. So I think that even though like these things wouldn't come across in front and the camera, the world building really makes everything uh, so much. It, everything benefits from that. And I love hearing stuff like that. Um, so yeah, uh, we should talk about the, the office scene, uh, yeah, uh Thomas Anderson, sequence. uh, escaping. Yeah, so his day job agents. is like, is like a legit, legit quote unquote software developer. Um, yeah, a respectable developer, I think is what <laughs> yeah. Agent Smith says. <laughs> but yeah, this is like a, what's so awesome about, um, the conceit of the matrix is like how much ends up like working like for its benefit. So here, like the fact that this is 
kind of the most generic office space in the world, like, well, it's meant to. And it's like, if that happens to be an easier set to build, who cares? Like, if that happens to be cheap. So it's like, I don't know. I think like the great films tend to have premises like this, where it's like, it works in favor of their production and their budget and the concept and the aesthetic, you know. But yeah, the whole uh, him being guided by Morpheus over the phone, like through the office. This did feel like a sequence that was like... there, it didn't seem like there was a way for me to recapture just how magical it was when I first saw it um, this many years later. I don't know. How did it, how did it land for you guys now? Um, I, I love it. I think, you know, it, this kind of scramble situation, but it also kind of pushes Thomas Anderson to the point of taking a leap of faith, right? I mean, he gets to the point where he has to make the choice to go out this window or leave with the agents. And um, he just isn't brave enough to take that first step. And uh, once you get refusal of the call, like, yeah, once you get to the point where he's in this interrogation room, you also get kind of, for me, it's like a blending of digital and practical effects, which I think is really cool for, that's like almost like a time capsule. So when the um, thing goes in his, Freaking belly button. That's oh. so freaking. Oh yeah, it's wild. Oh. And they, uh, and yeah, the, they, they and said the, they, the mouth, the mouth, like the mouth mm-hmm. thing, because because oh, it is obviously it growing over his mouth is digital, but then it is really like a, a practical effect over his mouth. Yeah, in some of the yeah. other scenes. Yeah, and and they said they made like a torso for that belly button scene, even though the effect is like a CG thing going in. Um, I heard them mention that, and I I think it was in one of the commentary tracks. So that that's pretty cool. But uh, yeah, and it it kind of pulls you forward and you don't know if it was like, did this really happen? This was this a dream? Um, He's ripped awake by uh, just like the kind of shock of it all. And um, then he is uh, reintroduced to Trinity. And it's like that also that scene's amazing. So they're in the car and it's pouring rain outside and she pulls out this device and it's a completely practical weird contraption and it yeah. just looks so cool looks and so good just cramped in this space and there's this ratcheting tension and you realize that yes this was a real thing that happened and they um pull that tracker out of his belly button <laughs> oh man yeah <laughs> <sighs> yeah that's, that's good and i and i love too that uh that the movie is I people kind of in in all of the like iterations and parodies and stuff people kind of lose that the movie has a sense of humor like there yeah, is yeah, there totally. are very genuinely funny moments and there are very like relatable moments too and that's one of my favorite whatever neo is just like jesus christ that thing's real yeah like yeah. he's just yeah. having a very genuine reaction not just like a dramatic or or you know trying to stay cool or whatever like, yeah it's, totally it's, it's 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 a good energy to it i have seen this film so many times i've also seen it in spanish more than once oh and cool oh <laughs> the, dude, awesome the spanish um line delivery is not as cool as the english line delivery for that it's that thing was real like that's yeah. that's too good um <laughs> oh, cool <laughs> but yeah, uh, we haven't really talked about our stars but yeah keanu reeves is like excellent uh, like this is the exact Whoa, was that a pun for him <laughs> yeah. the, oh it was it was not intended as one um it's not it's not bogus party on dudes it is yeah uh it is like yeah well yeah that's 
it's almost funny because I didn't, you know, I didn't watch like Bill and Ted whenever I was a kid and in Point Break and stuff like that. So it's so funny going back to those things and seeing like, I don't know, it, like you can watch those movies and be like, this guy is going to be a serious lead in a sci-fi movie. Okay. Okay. That was really how I remember like his reputation at the time is it's like, I mean, ranging from like, oh, he's okay to like, oh, that guy's a bit of a airhead and kind of a joke. Um, so, I mean, I do think there was, it was, it must've been an uphill climb for the marketing of this movie because hardly anyone knew who the, the Wachowskis were. Um, as great as Bound is, you know, it wasn't like a massive yeah, it wasn't a, hit or wasn't anything. A, yeah. Um, and we think of Florence Fishburne now as like this legend, rightly so, but still not like people had probably seen his face quite mm-hmm. a bit, but like did not know the name. I mean, this is one of the a very this is a very early role for Carrie Ann Moss. And then mm-hmm. yeah, like I'm saying about Keanu. Um, and he had had kind of a, a few bombs um, in the box office leading up to this. And um, right, and there was that w- pretty widely spread story now Johnny about Mnemonic. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, Will Smith. I like or... Mnemonic, but yeah, it wasn't exactly the the breakaway hit that this was. Yeah, but there there was that widespread story about Will Smith being approached to be Neo, and um, yeah. he's. Yeah. He's addressed it publicly, you know, for, for a while. It was like kind of like a rumored thing. And then he talked about it and he had a good point too, where it was like the Wachowskis came to him and were describing what the matrix was. And it's a hard sell if you're not confident in the people and you don't know who they are. I could understand passing on it because it sounds like it'd be way too hard to actually execute a film like this. So yeah. um, I think that we benefited from having Keanu in this yeah. role because he's, he kind of fills that blank slate, like main yeah, character yeah, exactly. vibe, you mm-hmm. know, and uh, he's kind and of like with the, the stoner energy or reputation, like whatever <laughs> there is to that, like it actually works in favor of the character, you know, yeah. whereas like, I think as strong as Will has been in, in movies, I don't know, having, the leading dude from men in black leading this movie. I don't know if you get enough like yeah. individuality or separation or whatever. I um, think, I think it still would have been good. It just would have been very different. Right. Was right. like, I think I like Will Smith has, you know, he, he has, you know, he's a good actor. He has like, he can bring different energy to different roles and it just would have been either. It would have been weird to have, you know, have, you know, like like you said, like Men in Black, Will Smith in in this kind of serious role that's more jokey, jokey, or it would have been him just bringing a completely different energy than than we had seen. But yeah, but yeah. Keanu Reeves is 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 excellent in this. Yeah, and Lawrence Fishburne as Morpheus. Uh, as God, we're getting so through yeah. the I mean, plot, the, the movie kind of doesn't as great as all the elements in the movie are. Like it's it depends on on Lawrence and yeah. like what yes. he does because it's like. You know, like the stoner philosophy, like sounds incredibly profound in in his voice, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I can see it in your eyes. You have the look of a man who accepts what he sees because he is expecting to wake up. Ironically, this is not far from the truth. We we get introduced to, I mean, Neo, final, well, Thomas Anderson finally meets Morpheus here and he's getting the spiel. And actually, I love how for me like watching it so many times i get the sense that morpheus kind of has fun 
with teasing the fact of the matrix to people because <laughs> yeah, yeah. he's like yeah. overly theatric in how he it's like explains this is another it. blue pillar over here yep yeah he's like it. um another copper top yep ready for my scene yeah. now trying to convince these guys but um yeah so he describes things to neo and he describes yeah. how he has these feelings how he understands that there's something not right in the world and he gives him the choice to either stay in this world or i mean he doesn't realize it but you know it gives him the the red pill or the blue pill and neo makes the choice and we soon see the reality of things he's starting to freak out but it's basically like a trace that they have tied to a phone and i love like how that looks too all of it It looks like stuff you'd find like radio shack or like in the dumpster of radio shack (laughs) you know they've got a rotary phone tied up to some uh electronics and um, they're able to pull him out of the matrix and you see that he's like you said he's um, what'd you say copper top yeah he's just a battery say he's a battery yep and then uh morpheus and their the crew pick him up with their ship and that was actually i think the last scene they shot in production because they show that in the in the matrix revisited because he shaves his head at the end Mm -hmm. of the shoot i think yeah Yeah. Yeah. it's like a claw machine pulling neo up out of yeah yeah it's real (laughs) we're in this is this is definitely the jeff darrow stuff is in all these like all these pods and like these weird um almost almost giger-esque yeah definitely yeah um, yeah totally with all like the the kind of like robots but they're kind of organic looking it's real good well well, and this is like uh, speaking of the we talked about how how great the pacing is in the movie, um, but the structure is really unique. I mean, think about it. It's like the marketing campaign is leaning into the mystery. Um, this opening of the film is shrouded in this sense of kind of confusion and suspense, and we get our huge plot t- twist reveal. I mean early you know compared to what you expect with like a major plot twist and i i don't know i can't think of many films that have tried to to kind of imitate this structurally um but it i don't know it it's part of what i think makes the matrix so special it's like you get to live really live out the consequences like of this huge reveal and it's like five minutes earlier and something I feel like wouldn't quite work about the film. And 10 minutes later, I think wouldn't work. I don't know. It's just, <laughs> it's perfect. Yeah. We, we see uh, Neo in recovery. And once he's introduced to the crew, Morpheus wants to show him what the matrix is. So they plug him back in and uh, he, he has his hair back and all of this fun stuff. And that's still- a great, sorry, talking about music. That's a great, musical sting whenever they plug him into the matrix for the first time in the real world it's like this really loud like string kind of hit it's 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 great this will feel a little weird Mm -hmm. and yeah like i said these these theatrics that morpheus is uh, going through really he's what is real how do you define yeah, real like real? Yeah. oh man <laughs> whoa yeah, there is like a cult leader like guru quality to morpheus um yeah for sure and that's something that they kind of pull from in the sequels but here you just get the sense that 
Uh, Morpheus is like this father figure, but he's also guided by this blind faith. And uh, he knows what he's been told by the Oracle. And he knows that Neo is the one and uh, he believes it more than anyone else. And he's just trying to do his part to convince Neo to to become that hero. And yeah, I, I think it works really well. And uh, Trinity also has her own motivations that we find out as we're going through the plot. But um, yeah, you're introduced to the crew. So there's Mouse, the little dude, uh, Tank, and um, Joey Pants, who was inbound. Yeah, uh, yeah. He's, he's Cipher. He's Cipher here, and he's he's really great. I mean, he's really great in Bound, and he's he's great in this this film as well. Marcus Chong, uh, he's he's really good. He's uh, uh, the operator basically. So whenever you get plugged into the Matrix. There's a person on the other side of the line that can basically get you out. And um, he's only in this film. But what I found out is I guess he had some disputes with the directors and it turned into kind of a heated thing. So they kind of took him out of the rest of uh, the movies. But I, I really like him in this oh, movie. Man. Oh, yeah. He's excellent in this. Yeah. And actually, Marcus Chong, his name is Chong because he was adopted by Tommy Chong. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. He's, he's adopted son. That's fascinating. Yep. <laughs> what a, what an odd upbringing. <laughs> yeah, isn't that crazy? Yep. So he's the one that loads Neo up with all of this uh, kung fu. And uh, their exercise to kind of understand the rules of the Matrix is a fight. So Neo versus Morpheus by Yong Ping. Oh, man. So good. Yeah, I mean, yeah. just a, cl- a classic stretch of, of film. I mean, I think there's there are a lot of iconic moments in the matrix that'll i think still be with us probably you know a hundred years from now or whatever like whatever is like surviving but yeah i think this this sequence is is going to be one of them mm-hmm. there's some really great use of like overhead camera there's some uh wire work here where we see keanu do like triple kick Lawrence fishburne his his form is really nice like his kicks look really good neil yeah. looks good for you know having been trained for like four months but you can kind of see that there's a little kind like a of stiffness yeah, yeah stiffness is the good word but i think yung whooping makes great use of both of them here and m- great use of the environment as well so they're in this dojo and um morpheus is basically pushing neo to fight harder and harder and harder and eventually you do get to see glimpses of neo's true calling as like the one so um i love you see these like multiple fist moments like it's almost like a fighting game character and i also love like kind of like the bravado you get a little bit of that from both neo and morpheus when morpheus there's a moment between uh interactions where he kind of does almost this like break dance like up rock kind of footwork Dude, so great yeah it, yeah it's so cool it's so cool he's having so much fun yep. there is a little bit of the like the cutting back to the nebuchadnezzar they're like how is he moving oh this fast that's, that's so my favorite dumb, part but it's great. <laughs> my favorite part of this is like they start doing this and then one of the people runs into like the like the room where everyone's eating and like no this is fighting neil and they all just dive out to go watch the fight it's it's like i love that because it just gives such an awesome like bit of humanity to like these people that are all like you know they're all depressed because like their life sucks like they're in living in this horrible hellscape 
Right, and they're like, right. "Oh shit, there's something cool on TV. Let's go check it out." <laughs> it has like a like a schoolyard fight energy to it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. totally. I <laughs> love that part of it, but it's just like the leading the witness stuff of like, yeah. he's so fast. Like, yep. please, viewer, and I think, think he's fast. <laughs> yep, yeah. I think right then is when the like the music kicks in like of the fight yeah, it's think, more of like a breakbeat thing yeah, yeah that works really well but the other the score and like the opening of the um dojo scene it's is really great it's weird it's weird to say but like you know if, if we we think back to like the amount of kung fu films that we've covered you know we're used to needle drops little stingers some like one man band synthesizer stuff or whatever but we <laughs> a- there actually aren't a lot of examples of a like quote unquote traditional like chinese percussion section like scoring a fight sequence and tan dun did that famously in crouching tiger but i don't know like don davis is actually doing it a couple years before that and um I mean, it totally feels weird and wrong to th- to say like he's being innovative here because he's really just trying to kind of like represent like traditional musical culture. But as it happens, like we don't really get a lot of that in the genuine article Kung Fu films. Yeah, well said. So it's, I don't know, really, really kind of cool. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. After this sequence, we get the jump sequence, kind of a power fantasy or or hope of a power fantasy and uh you see morpheus jump from one skyscraper to the next and you get neo's whoa everybody's waiting for keanu reeves to say whoa (laughs) and he just beefs it yeah (laughs) yeah but it falls and immediately falls all the way down yeah there's that cool effect of like it's very looney tunesy of yeah the kind of elastic road Yeah. yeah And you find out that injuries that you sustained within the Matrix actually can translate to your body in real life because yeah. it's your mind receiving all of that yeah. information. So if you die in the game, you die for real. Yep. Mm-hmm. But I mean, even here, a, a device like that would be kind of goofy in another way, but it, it works here because you're just being pulled as fast as you can through all of these ideas. Totally. Yeah, and like some part of you is looking for rules, and so like it feels feels really good when they just set him up that firmly mm-hmm. and there's the the crowd scene with the the woman in the red dress yeah um which i love how much work and detail went into this scene despite it only being like three minutes or something yeah um, totally it's such a cool scene because that's that's famously almost all the extras in that scene are twins so like right. you'll see the what looks like the same person repeated um there's the the amazing, like, very ahead of its time shot where, like, time stands still and they're, like, walking around everything, which yeah, I feel totally. like is probably, like, a plug-in on, like, Adobe Premiere now, but, <laughs> you know, it was revolutionary at the time. No, good call. That's, like, kind of just as important as bullet time. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, we haven't really delved into that as well, but just them pushing the technology of effects in this film, and we'll, we'll begin right. to that. Uh, pretty soon yeah i guess we haven't outright said it but um often the matrix is compared to star wars i mean not just in terms of like maybe some hero chosen one kinds of things but more like what it meant for the film business and like the impact of its influence and everything and i think you know with both productions there's like a similar fusion you know a bringing together from like different sources of inspiration and and 
like funnily enough, some of the same kinds of sources of inspiration, you know, like George Lucas was inspired by sci-fi and comic books and uh, his case, Japanese films and stuff. And Star Wars had some really innovative special effects things going on with the Dykstra flex and, and other stuff. And um, yeah, it's like the matrix is like checking all those boxes. It's not only this awesome, like masala of these different influences, but it's doing things that have never been done before in a movie. Um, and like, that's super, super crucial actually. Yeah. So jumping ahead a bit. There's the, we had the brief scene where we see that Joey pants cipher is, uh, going to double cross them to the agents. Yeah. The um, stake. Yeah. The stake. Yeah. ignorance is bliss. Um, but I wanted to jump to the, uh, the Oracle scene. Cause yeah, yeah. Specifically, whenever Neo's in like the waiting room and he sees all like these these kids that have like these, I guess they're not telekinetic powers because it's different than that. But basically, like you know, they're moving stuff with their minds and bending the spoon and stuff. But I mainly want to bring it up because even to this day, there are still spoons that my parents have that have obvious bend marks in them where they've been bent <laughs> forward and back because of my brothers doing that. Oh, that's is, so cool. Saying there is no spoon. Yeah. <laughs> Stop ruining our spoons. It's <laughs> <laughs> perfect. I mean, honestly, like you kind of can't overstate the impact of the spoon bending scene and that one line, like, especially I think for younger viewers, it's like, this is the perfect encapsulation of like the kind of stoner philosophy we're talking about, which it's like, there is deep wisdom and like profundity in that. And for some viewers, this is maybe one of their first exposures to like a kind of deeper Eastern inspired philosophical concept. And God, it's like this action Hollywood movie is able to like, able to bring that to light that's amazing also night of the leafus is on the tv behind the kids oh the i was wondering what is that the horror movie with the giant bunnies oh nice <laughs> it's, good pull man it's, it's it's very strange i just I, I saw it this time and i was like wait a minute <laughs> it's just it's Dude, a very odd catch. choice but whatever it's 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 cool when neo meets the oracle you get all of this kind of playing around with words playing around with what if this and what if that and don't worry about the vase what vase that vase how did you know oh what's really going to bake your noodle later on is would you still have broken it if I hadn't said anything? Right. Mm. But and I actress, really... Uh, Gloria Foster, she's just great in this. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Mm. She's in literally one scene, and it yeah. stands out. What I love is basically she she tells him what he needs to hear. They say that multiple times in the film, but she tells him that he he's not the one, that he's going to have to make a choice to save Morpheus. But that really positions him perfectly to basically become what he's meant to become or maybe he chose to do it who knows <laughs> have fun talking about it though <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah this is what i was mentioning where you kind of get tricked you're in act two right and you understand that cypher is kind of setting things up and as they're all coming to meet with the oracle uh you get a moment where he drops a phone in the garbage can and things start to kind of 
like a like a domino effect. Like it pulls you into Act Three so quickly that you won't even realize that <laughs> that's what's going on. Yeah, that's where he sees the he sees the cat twice and says deja, deja vu, vu yeah. which isn't really what deja vu is, but whatever. Um, <laughs> I always thought about that too. That's amazing. <laughs> um, but that's I love I love that. That's an, a thing that a lot of movies that take place in like a, a, a other world or, or something kind of like that, where you know that thing that happens to you in real life. Well, it's actually this thing. Um, yeah, yeah. Like you know, whenever you experience deja vu, that's someone changing something in the Matrix, or it. Um, every example of it just left my head, but uh, other movies do that too. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. But um, but yeah, that's the the, the agents descend on them and kill <laughs> all of our her cool ex- uh, side characters. So we have. Do you guys? Been... Have you seen all, all of Flight of the Concords? Oh, yeah. That's definitely <laughs> Glitch in <laughs> the, the Matrix. When the New Prime Minister's like, Glitch in the Matrix. How do we know that we're actually here in America and not part of the Matrix? I mean, everything in your experience, are we really here or are we just part of a giant battery? I don't really believe in the Matrix, no, Your Honor. Neither do I. I. No, I don't believe in it either. No, of course not. It's just an interesting idea that it's open for discussion. I believe in the Matrix. Your Majesty. I knew it, so do I. You know why, Dave? Have you ever had deja vu? All the time. You know what that is, don't you? Glitch in the Matrix. Fucking A. One of yeah. my favorite. I think that was actually my first episode that I've ever seen of Flight of the Concord. Oh, oh wow. By my in-laws, and my mother-in-law was watching it, and I just, like, all right, well, I'm a huge fan of this show now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So good. That's a good show. It's a great clip, too. I love it. So Morpheus, in this kind of uh, panicked escape, Morpheus sacrifices himself to let the rest of the crew go along with Neo. And um, Dude, this little fight sequence is so awesome. Mm-hmm. Like, the deterioration of the room, like, all of the dust and impact on everything like little mix of wire work it's ah it just looks so good i like that yeah. there is like these moments of wire work in this small space <laughs> yeah. you've got uh agent smith kind of rising up and you've got morpheus doing these kind of cool like i don't know anti-gravity kicks him getting tossed up into the wall you almost like don't think about like when you think of wire work, you think of big wuxia kind of wide forest spaces and stuff like that. And I like that it's in this tiny room. And also, I love it because like all of them are wearing these awesome, you know, the coolest thing you could wear in 1999 outfits. <laughs> but they have to get in like hide in between like the walls of the room. And he's like getting all dusty and stuff in a bathroom and crawling through sewers. I just, I love that because it's like. They're looking all cool and stuff, but they have to be in these very like precarious situations. You totally, yeah. There's kind of, there's a really important like look to the Matrix, which is these very aged interiors. If you think of the famous blue pill red pill scene, that room that you're in, it's really kind of strange. It's sort of gothic. It's like almost seems like it's like an abandoned home or something. It's sort of yellowed, and I, I don't know. And definitely, this building has that. Uh, has that appearance it's i can't even articulate why it's so cool but somehow that contrasted with like the sleek perfect leather and all the sort of like black and white you know high contrast colors in the characters it's just it's great 
And I mean, since we're mentioning colors, uh, color grading is such a huge part of this film. Yeah. And um, yeah. I ripped my DVD, like my original DVD for you guys. And I think that this was the first kind of step in like the changes in color grading. So over the years, uh, release after release, uh, the color grading on this film would change where it can really get green as as the years go on. And uh, it wasn't up until recently, Marty, you mentioned the 4K uh, release of The Matrix that uh, Bill Pope went in and redid everything. So it's it's more yeah. true to the original theatrical release. And um, uh, I think, yeah, the, the release on HBO Max is that 4K color graded release. And it looks oh, amazing. Cool. I was I was wondering because that's what that's what I watched it on originally. Yeah, yeah, it looks really good. But I mean, I, depending on where you're watching HBO Max, there's a lot of frame rate issues on HBO Max right now. So yeah, um, get that 4K yeah. if it's available to you and watch it on there, and you'll you'll experience the Matrix uh, probably as good as you're ever going to experience it beyond just originally seeing it in the theater. And okay, Cipher. Cypher's yeah, making Cy his yeah, move Cy now. Cypher's full heel yeah. turn here. He gets out of the Matrix and he quickly takes out Tank and Dozer. And he's the operator now. And as the uh, uh, Trinity is trying to make their escape, he's the one that answers. And he's get he gets his whole villain monologue. And uh, one of the things that he says is like, you know, if fate is telling us that Neo is the one... There's no way that he's going to be able to pull that plug and kill him on the spot. This is after he's killed Switch and Apoc. And yeah. um, sure and enough. that's also, Switch has one of the, also has, despite not having almost any lines in the movie, she says the... Not like this. Not like this. Oh yeah, she's amazing. And that's like that's a that's a classic line, just, mm -hmm. despite her out having many uh thing many lines in it. One of the other things too that I think is really cool with the world building is uh, nobody really talks about all of this crew. These people were all in the Matrix at a given moment, and they all have their own origins, and nobody knows about that. I think that if they didn't do what they did with the sequels, there's really a whole world of extra content showing you like where all these people came from and how they were able to kind of figure out how this world works. And I think that a lot of that's more interesting to me than the, you know, the penultimate or the ultimate battle between the machines and the humans. But um, we get some glimpses of these things with the animatrix, which I think for me is like the real cool, like way to take this idea and expand upon it. Yeah, I just wish I wish there was more of that, not really the sequels <laughs> that we ended up with. Yeah. <laughs> right, right. We'll get there. Yep. But yeah, so yeah, that's and uh turns out that Tank wasn't actually dead and he's able to take out uh Cypher and get a Trinity. That incredible gun. Back. Yeah, that was a weird ass like electrical thing. <laughs> and yeah, that and that it, like you said, this just rushes us right into the third act and you don't even realize it. But we have like 40 minutes left in the movie and now they're like, we need to go back in and save Morpheus. And that's the entire rest of the movie. And it rules. Mm -hmm. We see Morpheus uh, being captured by the agents and um, Agent Smith has this really kind of cool growing moment where 
Um, he gives his whole spiel about his take on what humans yeah. are. And I, I love all of that. It's so cool to me. But then you get this moment where he takes his earpiece out and he has like this kind of honest moment with Morpheus where he's like, I hate it here. I need to get out. And you're the key for me getting out. And I basically he's acting independent of uh, the machines that he's uh, working under, which I, I think that's really cool, too. And that it is he's such an interesting character in this film and uh like in the sequel not to start on the sequels again in the sequels you kind of feel like they're just like throwing some random stuff like oh he'll do this now or how are we going to set him up to be the true villain and it's like i think the sequels are just a victim of how successful this film is not just like in monetary uh, amounts but creatively as well and uh they they don't reach. Well, it's like the, the temptations that I think so many sequels fall to, which is like, oh, surely this original work was successful because of all of these specific things, and everyone loves the fact that this character works this way. It's like, I'm not so not so sure. Like, do you need to kind of immortalize Agent Smith in that mm-hmm. way? Do you need to like really dig into your lore? Like, I don't know. I. I would wager that's not why we liked your movie, but mm-hmm. yeah. alas. <laughs> I will say one I I haven't uh <laughs> I haven't seen the uh, reloaded or revolutions. Um I uh, I told I might have said on the podcast at some point. Uh the first time I ever got high, I tried watching The Matrix Reloaded and <laughs> fell asleep like 20 minutes in. <laughs> um, so I uh, don't remember that movie at all, but I think that you're you're, perfect. Yeah. You're incredibly fortunate that you live in this world knowing only the matrix. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I did for preparation for this. I was curious. Take the blue pill. Don't watch. (laughs) I watched watched the most recent one, Matrix Resurrection that just came out in uh, last year. And it is, it is a, it is a movie that wants to be, too many things i think Mm. it has a lot of really cool ideas and one of the cool ideas in it is that um jump the reason i'm jumping off of this scene in particular is because one of the interesting ideas in it is that there are programs that are siding with the humans Mm -hmm. there are programs that are kind of on the same level as agent smith that are like no, the Matrix needs to be like changed or taken down or whatever. And they're working with Zion or Io, I think is what's in the movie. But that's kind of an interesting idea. I don't think it gets explored quite enough like it should, mm-hmm. but it's an interesting idea. And it's a kind of a weird direction to take it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, once once we're done here, I, I would like to talk about the that film yeah, a yeah, little yeah. bit. Um, I don't know, Marty, if you've seen it yet, though. I Yeah, I've been to. <sighs> it's OK if you haven't. I, yeah, I haven't I haven't really wanted right. to. And so, all right, cool. So I <laughs> That's I'll, totally fine. I'll talk about it without spoiling anything. But um yeah. yeah. No, that's fine. I, I ended up getting somewhat spoiled um after it came out, but yeah, it's cool. But now it is the probably the most famous scene in a movie full of famous scenes, and that's <laughs> the the government lobby shootout. And it, yeah, this scene's excellent. It's like you know, one of the coolest action scenes ever put to film. It is wild. And and in a way it's kind of, it's kind of creepy for me to see it because this is kind of like the shoot, you know, active shooter situation. But, um, and I think 
Columbine was right around this time. Like, I don't remember if it was a month before it or a month after the Matrix. Yeah, I know came there's out. there was some controversy controversy around the sequence. Yeah, that like, sticks I, in I don't my think head. initially, but oh, but eventually, yeah. Oh, yeah, man, it was like but, a month after because it was in because I, I remember my my boss's birthday was is is the same day that Columbine happened. Oh boy! So because oh, whenever he asked me his birthday, he's like, "Oh, it's I forgot what day it is, but it's this day." It's also the day the combat happened. Like, oh, oh cool. Oh, rough, rough. But we <laughs> yeah. get, uh, okay, this is the hard-boiled influence, the John Woo influence oh, yeah. now. Um, every gun is has unlimited ammo. <laughs> every yeah. wall gets destroyed. Uh, we also get some really great uh, wire shots, some slow-mo yeah. action. Um, I did remember there's a moment in the uh, documentary where Yong Woo Ping has oh, like, he, he's like, his said he said his biggest regret was just that um Carrie wasn't able to get that kind of wall flip yeah. kick in Thing one in shot. One yeah, yeah one so shot. they had to do it in two takes. I thought that was but pretty But dude, funny. the editing is so great. Like the mm-hmm. I don't know the there's an argument to be made that the two takes is is even better. But yeah, uh God, it, when she injures herself in the documentary, yeah, it's so yeah. cool to watch. And she's and like, poor, oh, like no. little Yun Shun Yi is right there, like rubbing her leg. Like, <laughs> yeah. I'd read some other stories that she she called him Sunny because I think we mentioned before that's kind of the I've heard that. name that he goes by. Yeah, and he was kind of her main her main guy. I think yeah. on is on the action side. So. That's another thing that the Carrie Ann says in it is after they wrapped all of like the all of the action shooting that the that the wire team was done and she said it was really sad because like they had become really good friends with the wire team. Yeah. Which is which is very sweet. But yeah, this this scene is just full of of amazing like dives and you know they're wearing again, like I was saying before, they're uh, they're wearing their their cool outfits. Mm-hmm. Um but despite all of that, there's still that really funny shot whenever they're like looking all cool and it's all quiet in the room and then the, the wall crumbles. Yeah, this is yeah. That, perfect. That little, that little bit of levity. Yeah, and a great way to punctuate that sequence. And it also leads to another really funny bit, which is whenever they, uh, they're going in to, to fight the agents and turn on the sprinklers and the agents just look up as the sprinklers are coming down on them. Oh, uh, dude, classic. It also does call back to Terminator 2, like the siege on like Cyberdyne yeah, yeah. Uh, with uh, Miles sure. Dyson. Like you get a lot of the similar vibes in this whole sequence. Yeah, I mean, honestly, it's it's probably like the best marriage of like like this kind of masculine American gunplay with this like balletic kung fu like ever. I don't, and it's funny because I like. Plenty of Hong Kong productions were trying to nail that, and I don't know that any of them like get to this level. I mean, obviously, there's like these beautiful John Woo moments and similar moments from other filmmakers, but I don't know. It's like I don't think anyone quite hit this sweet spot ever before. Now we're on the roof, guys. Yep. Now this is like uh, the roof one is of probably the so most cool. the most famous single shot in. Possibly the last fifty years, I'd say. I expand the window a little more um, of, <laughs> yeah. of Neo dodging the bullets. I love um, how it smash cuts into the action already happening on the roof, dude. Yeah, that's yeah. It's a really great little bit smart. of action with those Neo kicks in mm-hmm. the foreground. Yeah, there's some fun footage of one of the stuntmen with the knife in his head that yeah, the Trinity yeah, shows. Yeah. 
Um, that's really great. And there's some sure. shots of the the stuntman that gets hit from Trinity that um, that she shoots in the head. And yeah, yeah, they he, dodge this. He like hits his head, yeah. and they has to give him some medical attention. That's one of my favorite behind the scenes shots. Is anytime someone does some like really cool hit or kill. And then the person calls cut and everyone to me is like, oh, my God, are you OK? Yeah, I love yeah, that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And um, so with that a bullet time shot, uh, the the FX crew were talking about the ideas that they had because they honestly didn't know how they were going to execute it. They just had an idea of what this would look like. And one of the ideas they said was literally like attaching a rocket to a camera so it would move so fast like they'd have a high-speed camera with a rocket attached to it and they were like no you can't do that so they ended up figuring out this multiple camera uh, technique where they set up a rig so it would basically the movement of the camera has a camera in each position and they would basically composite an Im- a, a moving image out of all of those shots, which is so cool. Yeah, um, yeah. And what's the commercial? Was it? It's a Gap commercial, right? That um, I don't remember. First used. Uh... Mm. I looked it up afterwards, and yes, it is a Gap commercial from 1998. If you search up Gap Swing commercial, because it was 1998 and Swing came back for some reason, uh, you'll find it. It's a fun little commercial. And I mean, you'd see it parodied many times, like Scary Movie, I think, did a goofy riff on that with like the the Scream Mask looking guy and a whole bunch of <laughs> ridiculous stuff. But oh, yeah, it's been it's been parodied so many times. It's almost impossible to even imagine how many times it's been parodied. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but it is it is a very cool shot. Mm-hmm. And that leads to the, the minigun uh, shooting at the office, the very famous bullets falling from the helicopter, which is one of the most in a movie full of very comic booky shots. That's one of the most comic booky kind of like you can just oh, imagine dude, totally. that as a panel yeah. of, of the bullets falling. And Neo really does ultimately prove that he's the one here. So he saves Morpheus, but they're hanging uh, off a tether from the helicopter and um trinity then is uh taking them away and um it ultimately leads to this um, awesome stunt he he saves morpheus he drops him off and then he lands on the rooftop and in order to save trinity he grabs that rope and pulls her up and it mm-hmm. just it looks so cool you get a huge oh, yeah. Dude, yeah. uh helicopter explosion you get an amazing yeah. practical stunt of the stunt uh performer hitting the glass and um this was all filmed in Australia. Much of the film uh, was filmed in Australia, but yeah. that the shot of them shooting the uh, where where Morpheus is that was like a closed set that they built with a to scale helicopter and everything. Yeah, that's looks, that's all pretty wild. Yeah, it looks really cool. And the a lot of the backdrops they use are are green screens, but for that scene, it actually is a giant backdrop that looks like the cityscape. Yeah, I yeah, learned. Totally. I learned the term. It's called a translite. Is is translite, a huge yeah. huge backdrop that they use yeah. in the movie. And they also it's shot in Sydney, but oh, they specifically like would add buildings to block out any possible recognizable landmarks like the opera house or anything like that because they wanted to retain that like this could be literally any city this is like generic you know? yeah yeah generic modern city, city. Yeah. yeah yeah but they're not out yet they're still stuck in the matrix so they need to escape and uh, morpheus and trinity are both able to escape in this subway 
uh, telephone booth, but Agent Smith shows up and destroys the phone, and Neo is left to make a choice again. So now he can either run from the agent or face him, and like any hero would do, this is his moment to prove that he can face Agent Smith. And mm-hmm. I'm I'm so glad that he does that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, we get another great, another excellent bullet time shot there. Which reading about how they made like the backgrounds, because there's all of the cameras in a circle, but obviously you would see the cameras if you didn't do something to edit them out. So it's in a, a big ring of green screen, basically. And they like the way that they digitally created the background was interesting because obviously 3D isn't quite at the level of photorealistic that it is now. So it's right, basically right. just a bunch of pictures that they took from every possible angle so that they could put it on the green screen. I love crap like yeah, that. dude. No, super smart. Yeah, there really is kind of like every trick in the book on the special effects side. Um, and uh, yeah, there's even some practical model stuff for when we're in the real, real world. Um, there are even a couple matte paintings actually in a couple shots that I like, I didn't realize at the, at the time, but anyways, just awesome. And I feel like so often um, for these films that we think of is like, Oh, this is like the digital CG transition period. When you actually go back to the special effects, you find that it's like, Oh, it's a huge variety of stuff in the pipeline. I'd like to talk about this fight just a little bit, but yeah, go um, for it, please. Yeah. Uh, I, I love there are sequences here where uh, Hugo Weaving and Keanu Reeves do like, I don't know, nine step choreography, long takes here. And uh, Hugo Weaving, his form looks cool, too. It's like this very rigid, I guess in the good way, this very rigid looking fighting style. And he's mostly just punching. And yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. Keanu does some really cool kicks in this sequence, too. Uh, in that documentary, they do say that he was suffering from a neck injury that he had to get surgery for. So they did have to kind of work around that. But you get to see some like shining moments of his uh, kicking here in this and some just really cool posing and like the like the shapes that they make in the fight look really nice. I always love to yeah, see totally. these kind of like very like like a drawing uh, looking uh yeah uh attacks here and it's it's really great they use the environment pretty well not too crazy but there's some cool moments where they're pounding through on the track pillars and, and yeah, yeah. It, it ends up leading to the tracks and uh agent smith getting neo to the wall and doing those like multiple punches looks oh, really dude, cool yeah, yeah. and you can good. see that straight up in the storyboards for this to i have this huge book that i've had for a really long time it's called the art of the matrix, oh, the art of the matrix. Yeah. yeah i actually i wonder if that's worth some money but i love it i'm never getting rid of it oh, <laughs> oh yeah we should also call out um keanu's stunt double is uh chad stahelski is that how you say oh, his name? Cool. who ended up later directing john wick um oh uh, beautiful very yeah. cool yeah and so he's like there you go. He would continue to work with him. Yeah. And that this, uh, yeah, this fight scene is punctuated by this moment at the end where Neo officially stating him as the hero. Yeah. And, uh, you get this like stage fatality, like in Mortal Kombat mm-hmm. or something. <laughs> yeah. Where he's just about to get hit by the train and then he flips out of the way and leaves yeah. Agent Smith to get destroyed by it. But oh. and then and then the train stops and Agent Smith walks out of the train. <laughs> yeah, I dude. love that. <laughs> I guess we didn't it's yeah, so we haven't really talked about how much this kind of 
reflects what video games actually not so much what video games were at the time of this film coming out but what video games would become what they came to be yeah. Yeah. yeah so it's kind of cool to see these ideas like a open world virtual environment that you can kind of do whatever you want and like a like a gta or a saints row and it's it's represented here in live action better than any other movie that's trying to riff on a video game has done so i i really think yeah, that that's totally and it really cool. did go overtly the other way i mean it's like the first max Payne game was like i mean it was on the box like oh bullet time yep like in the matrix yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. and yeah almost any like 3d action game nowadays will have some type of dodge mechanic where if you do it at the right time things will go into slow slow motion yeah. And I, yeah, I actually totally. did, uh, and I didn't play it for too long, but in preparation for this, I, I downloaded a ROM of Enter the Matrix, the mm. game that came out in 2003, and I played that a little bit because it's 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 tough. It's a game from 2003, and yeah. the, the controls are really rough, um, but it has a really some really cool stuff where like the camera changes whenever you're like attacking them one on one, and you know, your jumps look different whenever you're doing it in like slow motion for bullet time and stuff. It's a lot of cool ideas that I feel like just, you know, we weren't quite there. And that's where you play as like either Niobe or like the other guy, right? Ghost. Ghost. Yeah. And the the thing that I think is really cool about that is that the Wachowskis were really involved with like when when the Matrix Reloaded was coming out, they made a point to shoot footage for that game and they actually kind of it's almost like this multimedia situation. So there's yeah, that. which I thought was I thought that was really neat because yeah. we're used to full motion video and games being you know pretty bad for the mm. most part. Yeah, um, right, so it's right. it's really cool that that was just actually shot on the set with you know the real sets and the real actors and stuff. Yeah, and the plot kind of weaves its way through stuff from Reloaded, and also in the in the Animatrix, there's a short called The Last Flight of the Osiris where they're trying to get a message to uh, the Resistance. And I, I think The Last Flight of the Osiris was the one that uh, Square Enix did, the CG short. And um, that also ties to Enter the Matrix, and Enter the Matrix ties to The Matrix Reloaded. So it's pretty ambitious, like the ideas that they wanted to do, where they kind of, they, they, they were self-proclaimed video game enthusiasts too, yeah. And they wanted to kind of try and blend all of these medias together for their product, which is pretty fun. So now the the, the pressure's on because in in the real world the the robots are um, the, the squids are coming after them, and they have to use the EMP. But if if Neo is still in the Matrix, then he'll he'll be killed along with the rest. Right. And then I I kind of love that Neo. Whenever Neo does finally get kind of killed here. He, it's very like you know low rent like it's just agent smith just shoots him a bunch mm-hmm. after all yeah, this yeah. huge you know this huge fight and then he just gets shot but then the power of love brings him back <laughs> yeah yeah i i i, I guess Man, we didn't the look of this hallway when he comes to us. yeah uh, we didn't talk about trinity's motivations enough she also met with the oracle and uh what she was told is that she would fall in love with the man who would become the one which is kind of reductive, but it's it's still. I mean, she yeah, she's, she's like, awesome. So it can't be you because I'm just not feeling anything. <laughs> nice. It's not you. It's me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, dude. Carrie Ann is so. I'm sure in terms of like word count, it's not a ton of dialogue that she has throughout the film. 
but damn, it's like there's something just about her manner. There's like this kind of unknowable quality to her. And then this like drama to like her line readings where it just feels so significant, like what she's talking about, mm-hmm. like, and it feels like prophetic and stuff. So I don't know. It's a great pairing with Keanu, who I would say like maybe doesn't have those qualities, but he has these other qualities that are also mysterious, but it's like this empty vessel where it allows... Yeah, I don't know. It's like what it is what most video games are looking for in their playable protagonist, right? (laughs) It's like, oh, the gamer will like put themselves into the character and like fill it out. And and I do mean it as a compliment, but it's like Keanu has this quality to it that um that I feel like makes that makes that happen. Yeah, and I mean in the the cold open of the film is Trinity doing her thing and she's she's awesome in that sequence. She has this like slick hair look that honestly kind of calls to like Michelle Yeoh and yes, madam, if you really want to kind of compare Hong Kong to us. And even if she's not speaking that much, like how she represents herself in the action is very confident and very like um, stylish in a way that I think really sells that character a lot more than giving her more dialogue to explain things. And, um, yeah, here at the end, she kisses him and she comes and he comes back to life. And Neo is here facing the agents and he doesn't have to yeah. stop bullet. I mean, he doesn't have to dodge bullets anymore. He can just yeah, stop them. He just stop them. Yeah. And uh, Agent Smith runs in and you get this super iconic sequence where he just is super fast now. He doesn't even need to stop and think about what what is happening when it comes to the action. Yeah. He's like yeah, casually yeah. blocking it and then he starts blocking with one hand and Yeah, and kind of looking like indiscriminately. It's really great. Yeah. Yeah, yeah but that leads to he he goes inside of uh, Agent Smith and and explodes him from the inside. <laughs> yeah. Um, yep. Yeah, and they're and they're able to to get out. Yeah, and then and then Neo's character finally gets kind of like voiceover power in the film. <laughs> yeah. I know you're out there. I can feel you now. I know that you're afraid. You're afraid of us. You're afraid of change. Yeah, and then we're gearing right up for our Rage Against the Machine drop, which is... Where we go from there is a choice I leave to you. Dude, so crucial. And they mention in the behind the scenes featurette that this is like a song that they had like they had the vision for this like kind of from the beginning yeah that's the matrix (laughs) thank you for uh sticking with us for this long if you're still listening yeah totally oh man this is probably like almost the length of the movie that's the other (laughs) thing too like the movie's the perfect length it's like it really is yeah um Real, real quick before we go, though, sequels, resurrections, I kind of want to talk about it briefly. So. Yeah. So, I, yeah, I yeah, mean, yeah. I, I mentioned before, I feel like they, they're they honestly a victim of the success of the first movie. And oh, yeah. It'd be, it'd be really cool to just kind of leave you with this moment of, like, not knowing what's going to happen, but you know that he's equipped to take out the machines. And I just think that that would be so cool to kind of leave it on this, like, almost like pulp ending you know yeah where he just straight up turns into superman and flies away yeah but then the next yeah couple of films are you living in that world where he can fly and then they're like okay uh we have to introduce these other weird things and we have to 
go bigger. And I think when it comes to action, going bigger in sequels works better. But when it comes to kind of the plot, it, it just gets all over the place. The Matrix 2 is like a lot hornier too, which is funny to me because like you're a kid and like love is like this kind of romantic take on classic romance of love in this movie. And Mm -hmm. then in the next movie, it's like, yeah, you know, we're getting sweaty and Zion's like a big old orgy and stuff. It's like, whoa, what's going on, guys? (laughs) But I mean, it's still pretty cool. Like, I. I don't know. There's still some some cool things in those films. I just don't think yeah, that sure. they live up to what they were giving you in the first movie. And then like, okay, so with the the fourth film, I have much more conflicted emotions because it just feels to me like it's a movie that was it Lana made? It's not both yeah. of them. Lana. Yeah, yeah, it's um, just Lana. Yep. They they made it knowing that they just if they didn't somebody else was going to do it and they didn't want it to become whatever but it's yeah. also kind of them it's almost like an fu to the people yeah give me like, finger yeah them. it's like the movie very explicitly is yeah. talking about how because the neo or i guess the thomas anderson is yeah. keanu reeves playing him again and mm-hmm. he's like a famous game designer who created a game called the matrix yeah. And they want to make a sequel to The Matrix, but he doesn't want to, but he decides to do it because if they don't, then someone else is going to do it. Yeah. It's like, it's very on the nose, mm-hmm. which I almost kind of appreciate that they're just straight up like... So, yeah, I that's where I'm at, too. I do think that, okay, if that's what you want to do, I get it. But you also are kind of... It's kind of an F you to the people that were excited to see what a new Matrix would be, too, because yeah. you're using that energy sure. to kind of stick your middle finger up to the production behind it. So, like, yeah. I have conflicted emotions about that. And also, like, one of the things that they don't really understand to me, and I mean, we're on Heroes 3, is the action. Like, so the action yeah. in yeah, Matrix 4 does not live up to any of the films. I mean, it's almost like an afterthought in a way. There's one like kind of really kind of major hand-to-hand sequence, but otherwise it's it really falls short for me. Um, and I've seen it twice just because I wanted to really understand where I am with the movie. Um, but I mean, if you're into the Matrix movies and you've seen two and three, see four and see where you'd land with it. Yeah. <laughs> right. Just because it's like, I mean, what we're what we've been talking about, I think kind of like from the top of the episode is like how the Matrix is this awesome um, coming together of all these different influences. And it's, I mean, it's got to be in like the top three bullet points or whatever, like about like what is so effective about the movie is it's like this brilliant use of action so that that's not in the planning of the production and it's like, Oh no, we're not going to get that choreography team. And actually we're not really going to do much in the way of choreography. Um, it's just, I just don't get it. Mm -hmm. And it's, I, I should be more fair and see the movie, but I mean, we have plenty of cases where it's like a filmmaker who is like so sharp and like on point for their aesthetics. Again, um, hint, hint, George Lucas. It's like (laughs) later, later in life, I don't know, kind of like, taking command and saying like, no, I trust me. I really know what's great yeah. about my movie. I made star like, Wars. I know how to do this. <laughs> yeah. And I think what's tough. Isn't that like 
that that claim is incorrect. It's just kind of sometimes the sadness of the passing of time where it's like, oh man, I'm seeing you here. I, I know how sharp you were on all this stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's just kind of confusing. I don't know. It does. The one thing that it does really cool, the Matrix Resurrections, is a really, I really like the effect of whenever like the operator is instead of it cutting back and forth with the operator being in the real world and then them in the matrix, the operator kind of like exists kind of in the real world. Mm. And like, you can see him like typing away, like kind of this weird, like disembodied part of him in the world. That's a cool effect. I think that's, that's kind of neat. That's probably the only really, really cool visual (laughs) effect from it though. Everything (laughs) else is pretty, pretty bog standard the lighting sucks lighting in most modern movies sucks but the lighting's not great right. in it yeah it looks really weird the movie it, it, yeah that was the other thing that i kind of had issue with cinematography in that film it 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 yeah it's very strange it doesn't understand what was good about the other films even the yeah. other two sequels i yeah i mean this is like kind of a pandemic situation too so oh i mean yeah. oh, i don't right. know but um, but yeah, it was interesting that it's like you had a certain amount of crew coming back, but the fact that you know it's Lana, not Willie, and that's I mean whatever. It's I mean you know it's like we have Joel Cohen is now making movies without Ethan Cohen. It's like whatever happens happens. I I get that, but it's like yeah, you don't have Bill Pope, you mm-hmm. don't have Don Davis, you don't have Yuen Wu Ping, you don't have Lawrence Fishburne. I don't know. At a certain point, that's kind of a mounting group, and I guess I don't know. Um, who was involved in the concept art storyboarding side of things, but I wouldn't be surprised if we're missing some of those. Well, I, I do know that Jeff Darrow and Steve Scrooge did work on the matrix for, Oh, great. Yeah. Yeah. So that's oh, awesome. cool. That's great. Yeah. Since we were talking about the sequels though, I did want to mention this thing that I learned recently that I shared Mike Moraski, who I knew as a composer that worked with Valve on like Portal and uh, yeah, he did Left the music for, for Portal and he did the TF2 theme, that excellent like weird like jazz, not jazz, like 50s, yeah, yeah. like horn heavy right. kind of thing or He's 60s. Also, he also works in visual effects and he did uh, effects on the Matrix sequels and Lord of the Rings. It's yeah, I saw crazy. that. Crazy. Nuts. My friend uh, Lee Terrell, he runs a video game music podcast called The Sound Test, and uh, he interviewed him a handful of times, and he's the one that told me about that, and I think that is super weird and super cool. I love it. Well, thank you once again for listening. That is The Matrix. The Matrix is obviously excellent no matter what happens with any of the sequels. Nothing's going to ever completely take away from how amazing this this original movie is. Mm -hmm. Um, But thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed the show, then you can listen to a review on whatever you're listening to this on. You can check us out on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. We're at Here is the Number 3 Podcast on all three of them. And we are coming up. This is episode 99. So we are coming up on our 100th episode. And we are going to celebrate that by doing kind of a Q&A. So if you have any questions for us, then you can send it to us on those aforementioned social media. Or you can email us at heroes, the number three podcast at gmail.com. We've already got a handful of fun questions. And I'm really excited to hear what you have for us. So send them our way. I'll, I'll do another thing on social media. It's just uh letting people know but yeah if you got anything you want to know what we like fighting game character i pick in a fighting game (laughs) you want to clown on us a little bit and joke on you know please send it all our way it'd be really fun to talk about 
Um, and I promise that episode won't be uh, two hour, two and a quarter <laughs> hours long. So right. <laughs> um, but anyways, until next time, where we're doing our 100th episode spectacular. I'm Matthew. I'm Marty. I'm Carlos. And we are the Heroes Three. Remember your training. Heroes 3 is part of the Mercado Brothers Podcast Network.